during World War II, immediately after the collapse of France, Hitler moved with his Operation Sea Lion destined to attack Great Britain. This Operation Sea Lion included massive formation of bombers and massive formation of fighters, literally covering the British skyline. The Royal Air Force realized that there was only one place, there's only one position from which they can deal with that sinister attack of the enemy. It is higher altitude. Higher altitude. When the RAF pilots would get the command from the radar operator and the command says, scramble. It meant do or die, get above the attacking plane at any cost. Get into higher altitude at any price. These RAF pilots became known as the scrambling squadrons. They knew that there could be no victory over their enemy without higher altitude. They knew that they could not blow their enemy out of the sky without higher altitude. They knew that they could not neutralize their enemy's massive attack without soaring above their enemy's planes. They had to scramble. But I want to tell you that the Word of God tells us, as God's scrambling squadrons, we have instant altitude from any situation and every position. And when God the Father raised God the Son from the dead, the Bible said that He set Him high above the highest altitude possible. He set Him above the powers and the principalities. He set Him above the dominions and the powers. He set Him above all the wicked forces that are working in the heavenly places. He set Him above Satan and his demonic forces. He set him high above the circumstances. He set him high above all the forces of evil that are working in our world today. There he is, high above the sky in the high altitude. But you know, that's not where it stopped. I'm getting ready to shout because I know what I'm going to say. (laughs) Positionally, the Bible said that those who are in Christ Jesus, if you're born of the Spirit of God, If you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, this is what the Bible said in the book of Hebrews. That we positionally are seated in the heavenly places with God right now. Physically you might be here, but you positionally sitting with God in the heavenly places. Isn't that wonderful? And that is the blessing that God has given us. The Bible said that He invited us who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. He invited us to share with Him in every stage of the finished work of Christ. That He invited us who put their faith in Jesus Christ to be made heirs, inheritors of the everlasting kingdom. The Bible said that in Christ we have been raised to the highest altitude possible. You and I can be safe only in one place. You and I can attack the enemy and resist the evil one from one position. You and I have the power to defeat him only when we are in that high altitude. You and I can render Satan and all of his demons and all of his minions, we can render them vulnerable from only one position. You and I can have victory over Satan only, listen carefully, only, From the position where Christ is. It is understandable therefore. That Satan's strategy. That the work of his hand. That the work of his energy and his effort. That Satan's operation sea line against us. 
is to lure us down from that high altitude. To pull us down, his craftiness, his cunning maneuver is to pull us down from that position. Satan is scheming all day long of how to defeat you. How to get you away from the place of advantage first and then defeat you. Satan's desire is to cause you to forget that he is vulnerable. To cause you to forget that he is a defeated foe. Satan knows that all of his firepower against us can be absolutely neutralized when we maintain our faith position. When we maintain our obedience posture. When we maintain our trust power. So how does your enemy perceive you? Well, he sees you as vulnerable to his attack on three fronts. Listen carefully. He sees you vulnerable on three fronts. Each of these three are designed to convince us that he's invincible. That we are vulnerable to his attack. What are these avenues that he uses to intimidate us? What are these three doors that he gained access through one of them into our lives in order to get us down from our high altitude and then defeat us? 1 John 2.16, mark it, underline it. The Apostle John gives us a great deal of comfort, at least as I read this. It tells me that Satan cannot attack us on every front. He cannot attack us in multitudes of channels. Only three, only three. Here they are, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. All of sin fall under these three categories. Let me put it another way, make it easier. It is the cravings of our fallen nature. Secondly, it is the craving to have what we don't have. And then thirdly, brag about it. (laughs) I put it another way. I want to be sure you got it. It is our inner selfishness, our inner selfishness. Secondly, the desire to satisfy our inner selfishness. And thirdly, how to be proud of it. (laughs) Just in case you didn't get it, I got a third way to explain it. (laughs) The mind perceives, the heart lusts, and the will goes its own way. Satan is not merely interested in tempting us. He is interested to know that we have been tempted and that we have fallen into temptation. And he is not going to leave us until he sees us either defeat him and have victory or he defeats us. Make no mistake about it. There are only two positions. You're either a victim or a victor. So he comes to the eye gate. And then he comes To the mind gate. Or the mind gate then the eye gate. And finally he comes into the will gate. The will is his ultimate goal. To get into our will is his ultimate prize. To get us to go our own way and do it our own way is his ultimate destination. He uses the mind gate and then he uses the eye gate simply to get to our will. That's what he wants to do. He will use the mind which is the seat of our intellect. He will use the heart, which is the seat of our emotions, in order to get us to disobey God and His Word and follow Satan. Satan knows that if he can get you to see something, and he see it long enough, and then you desire it, he knows he's two-thirds of the way there because the next step is to get you to fall in love with that thing or that person, whatever it may be. 
Remember from last message, God has a good seed. He plants a good seed and there's good soil and there's not a good soil. You see, just as God has good seed, Satan has bad seed. (laughs) And he comes in and he plants his seed in our minds first. And then he lets it germinate into our hearts. And then it produces the fruit of disobedience, produces the fruit of bondage to sin. And this process may take a long time, or it can be instantaneously. And when you find yourself going through any kind of temptation, I want you to ask yourself those three questions. That's all. Ask yourself, is it appealing to my selfish nature? Is it appealing to my covetous nature? Is it appealing to my pride? You're going to find that every one of those temptations are going to come under one of those three categories. And these were exactly the same three temptations, the same three gates through which Satan was trying to gain access into Jesus' life that he used in the wilderness when he was tempting Jesus. Exactly those three. The wilderness was believed to be the place where Satan and all his minions and all his demons congregate. That is their convention center, if you like. And that is why, by the power of the Holy Spirit and under the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was led into the wilderness to take Satan on, to defeat him and render him ineffective. And he completed that process on the cross. So how did Satan begin as he tempting Jesus? He began, first of all, with the lust of the flesh. Jesus was hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days and he's been fasting for 40 nights. And as the Son of God, his food was to do the will of the Father as he told his disciples in John chapter 4. But as the Son of Man, he felt hunger, deep physical hunger in his body. You know, modern liberal theologians, they deny the divinity of Christ. Satan didn't. In Luke chapter 4, Satan comes to Jesus and he said, Since you are the Son of God, command these stones to turn into bread. He believed in the divinity of Christ. Well, you'll say, well, what's wrong with that? Jesus is hungry. He has the power. God gave him the authority. He raised the dead. He performed miracles. He could have the power. In fact, you notice that Satan never said, try, pray, do that. He said, command, because he knew that Jesus has authority. He could have done it. He could have said, stone be bread, and it would have become bread right on the spot. What's wrong with that? Isn't that reasonable when someone is hungry to eat? Why wouldn't Jesus change stone into bread? What's the temptation here? What's the big deal? It was the temptation to depart from the will of God and the timing of God. The timing of God. How many of us are trying to get out of the circumstances we're in? And you prayed and God have put you in those circumstances. You want to get out and you want to get out tomorrow. Preferably yesterday. You see, as long as Jesus was in the wilderness, he was under the control of the Holy Spirit. And as long as he was under the control of the Holy Spirit, he was being sustained by the Holy Spirit. He has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. He is totally dependent on the power of God's Holy Spirit. And as long as you are in the wilderness, whatever your wilderness may be, and at the center of the will of God, God's Spirit sustains you. You see, the physical hunger was part of God's plan. It was part of God's will. 
The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. When Jesus said, do it, he did it. When Jesus said, okay, it's over, it's over. And it was 40 days, it was almost there. And the devil comes and says, do it now. Fulfill the cravings of the flesh. You're a son. You ought to get your way. Do it your way. Go it your way. Don't deny yourself the joy of having food at this time when you're hungry. Since you are a son, you ought to meet your needs without counting on the will of God. Depart from the place of perfect obedience. Come down from the high altitude of perfect obedience. And that was Satan's message to Jesus Christ. But you see, the place of perfect obedience is the place of high altitude. Are you in the perfect place of high altitude of obedience? Or are you down in the valley being blooded all over the place? Where are you spiritually? Satan wants you to come down from that high place because that is the only way he can start munch on you. And hassle you. Attack you. And I don't care how bad it is in the wilderness. Listen to me very carefully please. If it is the place of perfect obedience. God is going to bless you. It is far greater blessing than to come down to his level. And the secret of Jesus' victory will always be the secret of your victory. Recognize the nature of the appeal. First of all. Use the appropriate scripture to resist him. But you know what? I have met so many Christians through the years. They are in constant defeat before Satan. And it's not because they don't respect the Bible. It's not because they don't respect the word of God. It is because they don't know it. And they don't know how to fight him. And Jesus defeated Satan by telling him that the word of God said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. So when Satan comes to you appealing to the flesh, tell him. (laughs) Tell him that in Jesus you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. When he comes to you and appeal, tell him that in Jesus you have all of your sufficiency. It is in Jesus alone. But secondly, Satan doesn't give up. He never gives up. So he moves into the eye gate. He takes Jesus into Jerusalem. And they stand right there on top of the temple. That is the highest place in the city of Jerusalem. It's the highest point in the city. And there on top of that hill, Satan said to Jesus, he said, Okay, Jesus, (laughs) you told me that man does not live by bread alone, but only by the word of God. You told me that and I heard you. You told me that you are imperfect obedient to the Father. You told me all of that and I understand. I couldn't get you to declare your independence. I couldn't get you to rebel against the Father. And you told me that you can live by the word of God. Okay, I'm going to take you up on it. See, Satan doesn't come at you from nowhere. How about showing me some confidence in that word of your Father? Want to show me some confidence in the Bible? Show me some confidence in the word of God and the promises of God. Show me some confidence in it. You trust it, don't you? Now, I want you to jump from this high wall. First of all, you're going to get headline news. But I want to tell you something else, Jesus. I can quote the scripture too. He said, now, I want to quote that word of God for you. And he quoted from the psalm. And he said, he shall give his angel charge over you. And they will bear you up on their hands. Lest any time you dash your foot against a stone. 
Ooh, that's a promise. It's reasonable. What's wrong with claiming the promise of God? That's reasonable, isn't it? To claim that promise. Whatever your eye perceives, you can receive, right? That's called the gospel of greed. All you need to do is you name that promise, whatever it is. As long as it's in the word of God, you name that promise and then you claim that promise and it's yours. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? You know, the whole advertising industry is really based around the lust of the eye. (laughs) The whole marketing industry is based on that words from the Gospel of John, the lust of the eye. And these merchants of human psychology, you know what these rascals, they know (laughs) that if they can display something attractive enough, you're going to want it. If you display a person attractive enough, you want to have that person. You see? They know that. So, you watch television, and you see a 50-year-old woman looking 20, and you want to buy that cream, whatever she uses. I won't mention any products. You see a man wearing a certain sport shoes. He's a famous athlete, especially young people. And you want to buy those shoes. You see a successful man driving a certain car. You want to have that car. I told her they know exactly how to do it. If you see someone on television who's so thin that you can't even see them on the screen eating a certain type of food, you want to eat that food too, right? You may eat ten times as much, but they don't tell you that. They don't tell you to stop with one bowl or or one plate. In fact, a friend of mine told me not long ago, I said, you know, that cottage cheese is fattening. I said, well, how come? I didn't realize. He said, every time I see a fat person, he's eating cottage cheese. (laughs) You might not be able to afford it, but that doesn't matter. (laughs) I saw it, and it looked good, and I've got to have it. You might not need it. Oh, but that's beside the issue. I saw it, and I've got to have it. You might be breaking the law of God and the biblical principle, but it doesn't matter. I saw it, and I've got to have it. Eve said exactly that. She said, I saw, and I took Achan, the son of Kami, in the book of Joshua, said that he saw the gold and he took and he hid in his camp. David saw with his eye and he lusted and he killed and murdered. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 8, write it down. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. I repeat that. The eye is not satisfied with seeings. Ecclesiastes 1.8. Proverbs 27.20 said, The eyes of man are never satisfied. Are never satisfied. In fact, I remember that story about the little spoiled boy. He always gets everything he cries for. And one day he was crying and crying and crying. And he wanted an expensive vase that uh, sitting there on the cabinet. And the housekeeper wouldn't give it to him. And the mother heard him cry, so she comes over. And she said, why are you crying? And he said, I want that. I want that. Unwisely, like some parents do. They think the way they express their love to their children is give them everything they ask for. Sometimes we say no, just out of principle. It had nothing to do with affording it or not. So the mother reached out for that expensive vase and she put it in front of the boy. And you think he'll stop? He cried the loudest. He cried from the top of his voice. His mother came back and said, what's wrong now? 
And he kept on crying. And he said, oh, I want, I want, I want, I want something that I can't have. You don't know that the cry of love, don't you? That's our generation. Yes, the Bible said that he would give angels charge over you. But that promise was to those who are obedient to God's will. To those who never doubt the word of God. And walking according to the word of God. Never to put God to the test. The only time God said test me. Is in the issue of the tithes. In the matter of the tithing. The only time in the scripture. And the rest of us said. You shall not tempt the Lord. You shall not test the Lord your God. Had Jesus claimed that promise. He would have put God to the test. And he would have fallen in Satan's trap. Of saying to God. God. You can only be true if visibly prove your word. You know, that those who say, I will not believe until I see with my eyes. They're the very people, if they see, they will never believe. Jesus didn't have to put God to the test as a condition for believing and trusting him. If he tried to prove it, he would have been calling God a liar. And when Satan tries to get you to tempt God, he is getting you to call God a liar. And thus he pulls you down from that place of perfect trust, from that high altitude of perfect obedience. The lust of the flesh, says John. The lust of the eye. And thirdly, the pride of life. When Jesus would not allow Satan to come through the gate of selfishness, Or through the gate of desiring and testing God. He tries the remaining third gate. The gate of pride of life. The gate of the will. So Satan says, Jesus, I heard you. I heard you. You said that the birds have nests and the foxes have their halls. But there is no place for the Son of God to lay his head. I heard you. And you know what, Jesus? I'm going to make you a deal. (laughs) Your poverty days are over. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. How many people would like to hear that? I'm going to make you a deal that is too good to be true. In fact, what I'm going to do, I'm going to add to your net worth, which is nothing right now. I'm going to add the whole world. I'm going to give you all the gold in the world. I'm going to give you all the silver in the world. I'm going to give you all the real estate in the world. I'm going to give you all the stocks and the bonds of the world. I'm going to give you oil. And I'm going to give you the billions and the trillions of Japanese yen and, and Deutsche Marks and Swiss francs and dollars and sterlings and all the Swiss bank accounts. I'm going to add them to you. No, that's not enough. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a whole Wall Street market. I'll give you the French KK40. I'll give you the German DAX. I'll give you the British FTSE. I'll give you the Australian Ordinary. I'll give you the Hong Kong Hing Sing. And I'll give you the Singapore Strait Times. And I'll give you, just as a bonus, the Bombay Exchange. (laughs) They're all yours. They're all yours. For just one simple little act. (sighs) Bow to me. Bow to me. I want to explain something to you. You see, when God the Creator created the world, He handed over the ruling of the world to Adam. He said, Adam, you're in charge. I'm giving you the scepter. 
And when Adam disobeyed God and followed Satan's temptation, and he followed in Satan's trick of disobeying the will of God, he literally, by his failure, by his sin, he handed over the scepter to Satan. And Satan has been the usurper. He has been the called God of this universe, the God of the world. He has been a usurper of the world from that moment on. And it always God's purpose to wrest a scepter from Satan's hand and give it to Jesus the Christ, the Son of Man, who died on the cross and rose again, so he might rule as King of Kings and Lord of Lords forever. Amen. Satan knew about God's plan from the pages of the Old Testament. It's all there. He knew that. He heard the prophet saying, I'll give you a new heart, a new covenant. He heard this of the new David coming. And Satan knows that he is only, the only authority he has is a usurper's authority, a temporary authority. So he offers to release the scepter and turn it over to Jesus Christ. Only if Jesus would worship him. Some people actually wrote this. They wrote saying, well, if Jesus was going to get it anyway... (laughs) Well, we have just got it at this point of time and avoid the cross. <laughs> Can you see it? Shortcuts, avoid the pain, instant gratification, no cost, get it now, forget the consequences. And the question here is this. Who has the right to be worshipped? Who has the right to be obeyed? It's not when would Jesus get it. And this was the climactic temptation that Satan put before Jesus. First he wanted him to disobey and satisfy the cravings of the flesh and the flesh's needs. But he failed. Secondly, he tried to get him to doubt the word of God and to test God through his, the eye gate. And he failed. But you know, those first two were really incidentals. Satan used those two gates in order to get to his ultimate prize, the will. Is it going to be done your way or is it going to be done God's way? Is it going to be done my way or God's way? That's really the ultimate. That's his ultimate aim. To stay up in the high altitude. Where you can have power over Satan, it means that you can be sustained by the word of God. It means that you believe and you trust that word with all of your heart. It means that you only worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you are in that place, Satan cannot attack you. When somebody comes to me and says, I'm under attack, I'm under attack. I said, let's examine your life. Where are you? Why is he attacking you? First of all, he got you from the high altitude. And then he's able to attack you. But God said you can have the victory when you remain soaring high in the place where Jesus wanted you to be. If he fails to appeal to the lust of the flesh, if he fails to appeal to the lust of the eye, if he fails to appeal to your pride, you have defeated him. Literally, from two o'clock in the morning, I pray for one thing. Only one desire do I have, and I ask God for it again and again. 
that you would not hear me, a man, but you will hear the voice of God, that the Holy Spirit would have spoken to you when you leave this room. And I want to tell you that if Satan is working and letting you hear the voice of saying, oh, just forget all this stuff, you've got a busy life, yeah, sometime down the road you're going to do this, then he has succeeded. The Spirit of God, the gentle voice of God saying, today, today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life and the Savior of your soul, today is the day of salvation. If you have been living in the valley and in defeat, and one defeat after the other, the Scripture says today is the day when you can soar high above the sky in the heavenly places where Jesus wanted you anyhow where he positionally placed you anyway, today. Today is the day of decision. Don't put it off. And God speaking to your heart. I beg you, listen. Heavenly Father, for every man, woman, child who have heard your voice, pray to you. Ask you to come into their life. Ask you to help them soar. Be in that high altitude of obedience, of faith, of trust. The high altitude of surrender to your will. Empower them in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come. Visit every trembling heart, every troubled heart, every haughty heart, every arrogant heart, every proud heart. Come and visit and bring conviction. Start with me. Touch us with your transforming touch. That when we walk out of this place, people know that we have been with Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.